Tonight's reading from the New Testament is from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, and you can find it if you open your bulletin. It's on page 1. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble one against another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. This evening, things will be a little bit different in that um, the sermon will be a homily slash charge, uh, which means... Uh, it'll be shorter, <laughs> we hope, um, but <clears throat> as we apply the scripture uh, to ourselves, I, I will be pausing at different moments and addressing our new elders as we charge them. Would you pray with me? Father, this is uh, the church of your son. He alone is deserving of all glory. Every good work is his work through us. And we become renewed as we participate. We pray now that you would take your word um, by your spirit and help us. In Christ's name, amen. 22 years ago, I stood before the faculty and student body of Covenant Seminary, and I preached a sermon entitled The Waiting Room. Uh, A sermon about how we're called to wait in areas of our lives, often difficult areas of our lives. I had no idea at that time how much that song would be on repeat play. Uh, You know the phrase, you spoke better than you knew. (laughs) I just had no idea how much waiting would figure into my life and my development. And I know I'm not alone because every day, every one of us is called to wait and to be patient in small ways. One of our daughters had a medical appointment on Friday and uh, the appointment was at 11 o'clock. I showed up at 12 to uh, switch out with Meg, and we were seen at 1.45. So if you're doing the math, it's two hours and 45 minutes late. Now, uh, at some point, I think at two hours and 50 minutes, I I went and gently inquired, uh, any update? And they said, five minutes. Now, here's the funny thing. The five minutes turned out to be 20 minutes, but that felt longer than the entire two hours. 
right? Because the whole time I was like, it's just five minutes. It's hard for us to wait in the everyday and in the big things. Waiting for somebody we love to get well. Waiting for decades of injustice to end. And it's not easy in our day and age. Microsoft did a study in 2018, last year, and uh, their research was that eight seconds is the average attention span of Americans. I'll repeat that again in eight seconds. (laughs) And for leaders, I think it may be within the top three skills that you have to develop. Patience. Um, younger in my ministry, uh, I was much more prone to believe my job was to fix people and to give answers, uh, to push instead of pray, to speak instead of to wait. It's a hard thing to learn, a critical thing to learn. And this is where James turns our attention, talking about patience. And I uh, briefly want us to consider what it requires and how we get it, how we obtain it. So, first of all, what patience requires. James uses three different words and illustrations to express three different forms of patience. Three different forms of patience. The first one I think we could call sit-and-wait patience. This is the kind of patience you have to... um, Exercise when, you know, perhaps you're, you're waiting for the election results to come in. You're waiting for the call that says you got the job. You're waiting for the letter that says you got into the program. You're waiting for the results of the test to see if the treatment worked. Sitting and waiting. As parents of older kids, I would say that has been the number one call. As you sit there and give your kids space and time to struggle through good decisions and figuring out what it means to follow Christ. We do a lot of waiting and praying these days. Patience. James gives us the example of a farmer who not only had to wait for the early rains in the fall, but the spring rains later. That's a lot of time to sit and worry, right? A lot of months And it's during those times we're waiting, our patience is not only tested, it's tempted. Do we hit this point where we just say, that's it, I'm done, and we resort to manipulation? Maybe it's through our influence, our power, our money. James talks about, uh, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Sometimes it's false promises we'll make to get out of being patient. Or maybe it's turning in anger toward other people. Sometimes uh, impatience can show itself by demanding that other people be patient so you don't lose your patience. We turn, James mentions grumbling. The same word that's used for groan and grumble is in the Greek. Does God permit us to groan in our patience? Absolutely. He forbids us to grumble, though. You know, to say, I'm being treated by you unjustly. Leaders, brothers, have to learn wait and sit patience. As you're waiting uh, with someone in the flock, someone in this community, 
as they wait, maybe for years, um, as you're waiting for a denomination to become more welcoming to people of other races and cultures, as you're waiting, considering issues in the city of injustice that we keep plying towards and pushing towards, patience to wait. The second form of patience he gives us I'll call brace yourself patience. He says, establish your hearts. That word is used of uh, soldiers that are getting steely for the battle. They're ready for the attack. The same word was used of Jesus and his resolve to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross. Where you have to establish yourself. He gives us the example of the prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah, who had to stand firm as people just hurled hostility at them, sometimes physical abuse upon them. Kings went after them. They were called to stand their ground. I immediately get the picture of civil rights workers who stood and didn't retaliate as they were kicked and they were punched and dogs were sicked after them. It's this idea that you establish yourself. Sometimes isn't that the case? That it's not just sitting and waiting, but you feel like, I need to stand firm. It may be in the midst of a critical person in your life where they just regularly unleash dehumanizing statements, critical statements. Maybe it's being patient and standing firm as your colleagues mock your faith or see it as dangerous. Maybe it's... uh, You're a minority culture person, and you have to brace yourself for the statements that you hear. Things like, well, I see you as white. Or, slavery was a long time ago. What does it look like to brace yourself in patience? Uh, Leaders are called to give up their right to defend themselves. Uh, They're giving up that right They must hear criticism and stand. Thirdly, I'll call press on faith. That's the patience to get up and move. It might be to take literally a step out of bed in the face of depression or grief or chronic illness. What does patience look like? It means taking another step. Going one more day. This is the patience that he talks about with respect to Job. If you know the story of Job, you know, his immense wealth, uh, his family's wiped out, his wealth is wiped out, everything is wiped out, and he needs to get up and go on the next day. Pressing on with that sort of faith. And I think one of the ways that leaders have to do this in the church is pressing on with what theologians call the ordinary means of grace. It's kind of crazy in this day and age to think preaching and praying and sacraments can actually change someone. It takes faith to believe that. That God is going to work through ordinary ways for extraordinary transformation. And so leaders have to keep stepping day after day, being faithful to the gospel. So this is what patience requires. But what helps us get it? What helps us sit and wait? What helps us brace? What helps us press on? You notice this entire passage is framed up around the return of the Lord. 
Now, the Old Testament talks about the return of the Lord as a day of judgment. Here, James is echoing the teaching of Jesus about himself. After Jesus died and resurrected, he assured his disciples he would return. Now, it's a funny thing to me. As I think about how do I help myself be patient, I don't think about the return of the Lord. That's not something that I think is going to help me day to day. So I was giving it some thinking this week and some praying. And I, and I do. Lo and behold, I think God is right. I think there's actually some richness here. First of all, the return of the Lord helps you avoid waiting for the wrong things. Waiting for the wrong things. God doesn't promise to give you patience as you wait for the wrong things. So Jesus, uh, when he talked about his kingdom, his kingdom was a um, radical reevaluation of value, of what's important. The interesting thing about that is his return actually spurs you to think about that. Let me give you an example here. In Luke chapter 12, we find a similar passage, like Jesus would any other place, that says, be ready. You know, uh, the Bible never gives any time to when will the Lord return. Rather, it asks us the question, will you be ready when he returns? And so Jesus calls out, will you be ready? But before he does that, this is what he says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also be ready. You see, the return of the Lord and his coming kingdom ought to make you and I reevaluate the worth of what we're waiting for. And so it helps us with our patience. So, for instance, if you're trying to be patient for romantic love to make you happy, you're wasting your time. It's not worth your patience. If you're trying to be patient so Washington, D.C. can confer worth upon you and say, hey, you've made it, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your patience. Or... If you're waiting for the smart people in the world and the gifted people in the world and the charismatic people in the world to bring world peace and utopia, you're wasting your time. Your patience is being wasted. Leaders have to lead by crucifying the bad things that they're patient about, the false things that they're patient about. God loves you. He loves me. He desires you to wait for things that actually will be food for your soul. Wait for things that will actually complete you in life. So that you wouldn't find, I spent my life waiting and seeking to be patient for something that was worthless. The second thing is the return of the Lord reminds us that God has his purpose. This is what we hear. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord 
Some translations say you've seen the purposes of the Lord. Others, you've seen what the Lord brought about. Either way, what he's saying is when you think about the return of God, it reminds you he has his purpose even when we don't see it. You may not know God's purpose. You may not know what God is doing. But God is working. Jesus said, my father is always at work. Have you ever been in this situation where you're in a long line? I mean, a really long line. And you're looking at the counter. And the people up there, they're just not too engaged. They're kind of chatting it up. You know, or maybe they're just kind of like, yeah, you know. And then when it's your time to come up, they just kind of walk up maybe and just, right? We've all been in that place, wherever you are. And maybe you've been on that other side of the counter and say, hey, hear my side of the story, right? But it drives us crazy. We think, well, you know, you don't care about me. You're not at work. Jesus said the Father is always at work, even if we don't see it. I was having a conversation with um, one of our counselors, Jackie Griffith, and, you know, I have kept you all apprised. Uh, Jackie is dear to many of us in this community, and she, uh, of course, just uh, suffered the loss of her husband, Howard. And I'll tell you, it was a long year of uh, patience and waiting in some ways kind of forecasting. Does, you know, what does this mean? What does that mean? So at the end of it, Jackie and I were talking about a week ago. And uh, she is now back with this counseling. And she said, you know something, Glenn? We don't have any idea what God is doing. We have no idea what God is doing. We do know that he's good. We know he's good. And I thought to myself, how often I have made faith about me trying to figure out what God is doing. If I can figure out what he's doing, then that will be the place that I place my confidence in my rest, in my trust, in my patience. But instead, it might be better for us just to say, God, you show me some things, but I really have no idea what you're going to do. I know that you're working, but my patience... Rest upon your character, which is the last point. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's much easier to wait when someone's by your side who is compassionate and merciful. It helps us through those long hours. Because they know what it's like and they know how we're struggling with our waiting. And James reminds you and I that God... Is compassionate and merciful while you and I have to wait for stuff. He's not hard-hearted. He's full of compassion for you, mercy for you as you wait, as you wait to get well, as you wait in your loneliness, as you wait to see if some peace might come to your family, as you wait with people being really blind and ignorant to the things that you suffer. He's full of compassion. Peter tells us this is why he's delaying his return. We ask, God, why don't you return? The scripture actually says that God tolerates injustice and evil. Why would he do it? You think there isn't a part of God and his justice that wouldn't want to come back in a moment and deal with injustice, and deal with hardship in the way that you've suffered. 
and the way that you have been dealt wrong and victimized, don't you think, why is he waiting? Because he's waiting that more people like you and me would repent, that we might find his grace, that we might change. This is why he's waiting. It's because of his compassion and his mercy. As leaders, uh, we have to strive to do two things. One, there's a temptation, uh, brothers, when you're sitting with people because you just want to feel competent. <laughs> you just want to feel like you're doing some good, and that's a good, a good desire. The desire is, the temptation is to try to tell people what God is doing. Right? Folks come with issues, and yeah, I'm going to try to tell you what, I'm going to pull back the curtain and tell you why this is happening. And God would say, no, I, I don't want you to do that. I want you to encourage people that I'm working and that I'm compassionate and I love them. We need to remind one another of that. And so, patience will be, I believe, uh, the school of learning. Not only for all of us, but for especially for you brothers, you new elders.